Well, I just never expected that I'd be living in the United States. And here I am. I was born in Mexico. Um, most of my childhood was spent in Brazil. And I graduated from high school in Costa Rica. After that, I moved back to the States to go to college, and then I started working, and I made my career there. But during that time, my parents, who had been traveling through all their working life, they retired in Costa Rica with a small coffee farm outside of San Jose, the capital. And so I would go back every, you know, every couple of years to visit them. But um, I did spend about 20 years in the States, and during that time, I got married, and I had daughter, Gala, who is here in the, well, I'm lucky that she's here visiting. And um, when she was about two years old, I was offered this great job in Costa Rica, and I was really thrilled to be able to go back because I could be with my parents, you know. They were elderly already, they were getting older, and I just really, I had never had grandparents when I grew up because we traveled so much, so I was really wanting my daughter to to have the, the blessing of being with the grandparents, and I wanted them to have that joy also. And so uh, we moved back, and um, I was really, really happy to get there. Especially because I had, since I had grown up in Latin America, that was like the environment, the, the natural culture for me. And I was kind of feeling uncomfortable about raising Gala in the United States because I didn't know how things worked here for kids. So I was also really happy that I was going to be able to raise her in Costa Rica. So I moved back. We both moved there. And um, after a few years, my brother, uh, he had a Costa Rican wife. They were, we were living in Washington, D.C. They moved back to Costa Rica with their three children. And so by then, I had, well, two-thirds of my family, my immediate family, was in Costa Rica. So I figured, well, Costa Rica's going to be my home forever. And um, so I bought a house. I bought a house, it was, um, not, it was closer to town from my work, and it was up on the hills of Escazú, overlooking the valley, it was a really nice place. I sort of selected, um, I kept looking until I found a place that was to my liking, and it was, a, it was like part of the city that was still undeveloped. It was semi-rural. There were little farms and small houses and then bigger houses, and there was a place where the cows were still wandering around, and horses too, and, and that was the kind of environment that I liked and I wanted my, to raise my daughter in. And the property that we lived in was a really large property that they were going to develop, but they hadn't developed it yet. And um, so there were a few houses on there. And we moved in there and that became our home. Um, there, at that time, Costa Rica was still pretty much um, as you might have and might think still is. Um, the government had really, in the 1948, they abolished the army, uh, which made it completely different from all the countries that surrounded it, because they were all military dictatorships. And instead of investing in military, they invested in their people. Costa Rica was a solid society. It was, everybody had universal health care. Everybody had free high school, I mean, college education. It was very easy for kids from small farms to go to college. They had electricity all the way out into the mountains and roads too. All of this was very unusual for Central America. So that was more or less environment that we moved into. Well, as time passed, um, Costa Rica started changing. Um, 
people heard about it and wanted to live there. You know, it's a very attractive place. And so a lot of nice people moved there, but also a lot of people were fleeing from the law in their own countries. So they, seriously, a lot of people. They came with a lot of money, and you know, it was a haven for, for white-collar criminals. And, and, and so people started, life started changing. The relationships between people started changing. And there were people who had lots of money and then people who didn't have as much anymore. And, and then on top of that, um, the DEA, you know, the, what's it called, the people who the, stopped the drug trafficking here in the States, you know, what's it called? <laughs> drug enforcement agency. They worked with the countries of the hemisphere and they managed to stop the trade of of uh, drugs through the Caribbean because that's where it used to travel. They stopped that. But you can't stop a river from flowing, can you? So instead, it now travels, and still, travels up all the countries of Central America, which brought a new element of danger to our society. So life was getting less secure for us, and, and there was more social inequalities. And in fact, before both of my kids were 18, they had both been held up at knife point, gun point, screwdriver point, hijacked almost, friends had been shot, uh, people's cars had been hijacked, I mean, it was getting pretty scary. So, you know, my life of tranquility and peace was changing a little bit, I mean, quite a bit, and, and all of this that was happening outside started getting reflected in our neighborhood. When we first moved there, um, we had no guards, it was just, a, just an open neighborhood with big pastures because it hadn't been developed yet, and a little couple of streams, and along the streams there were these really nice little forests where you could explore, and, and um, after a few years, the, the property owner thought they wanted to bring more people into the neighborhood, so they thought it, they would make it more respectable looking by hiring a couple of the guys who lived nearby for some local, some nice boys who lived nearby, and they were hired to work as guards, and, and um, the first one that I, one of the first ones that I met was Gerardo. Gerardo was, must have been about 25 years old when he started working there. And his main job, and actually there were four guards at the time, but he was my favorite. And um, his main job was to make sure that nobody came into our neighborhood to dump garbage, because that's what they used to do. They didn't really have good garbage collection systems, so they'd come and dump garbage. And the other thing they were supposed to do was to keep out the lovers at night because people would come in at night and drive up into the deserted part of the neighborhood and do you know what people do in cars at night. <laughs> <laughs> so that was their main job. And then also to help people find where the houses were, but that was their main job. And as time went by, more and more houses were being built in our neighborhood and um, bigger and bigger houses. and. Mansions, gigantic mansions, you know, with, I mean, you just wonder, you know, who needs that much house, you know, with big walls around them, and they even had their own guards, and some of them had these big black SUVs with tinted black, you know, windows, and they had bodyguards, and so the whole feeling of the neighborhood was changing. And what also happened was that as that as all of that was going on, the security of our neighborhood started changing too. So at first they just had a little shut hut to protect them from the you know, inclement, inclement weather, and they had no weapons. 
after a few years, a wooden house, guard house was built with big glass windows and stone steps, I mean cement steps, and they were given handguns. And they wore their handguns here on their hips, you know. And um, they took uh, shooting, whatever it's called, you know, art, whatever it's called, shooting lessons, and they learned uh, self-defense, and they learned how to use walkie-talkies, and, and I noticed, you know, especially in the case of Gerardo, I didn't mention that Gerardo only had a third grade education, as did many of these guys, you know. They, even though there was opportunity, they couldn't always take advantage of it because they needed to work or something like that. So Gerardo had a third grade education, and I could see as he became more skilled and had more, more equipment and more responsibility that he became prouder, you know, you could just see him, that he was standing there, that he had a real job, you know, I mean, he had real responsibility, and he, he really felt a commitment to our community, and um, I could see him change in that way, in a good way for him, I mean, he was proud of it. I felt a little where I was starting to get worried, because I did not like the idea that he and the other guys that I knew were now in that line between the outside world and where we were, you know. After a few years, they tore that house down because they didn't think that was safe enough for the guards because it wouldn't have been if somebody attacked. So they built a concrete and a like bunker. And in front of the bunker, the, their, their guard house was a big wall that went around it. And then, uh, Lights, video cameras, and they got this enormous rifle. And it's like, that kind of, I don't know what they're called. But it was like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I tried to find one on the internet. Anyway, so their instruction was that whoever drove into that neighborhood, day or night, they were supposed to come downstairs and, like this, say, Who are you? Where are you going? What's your business? You know? In a calm way, I mean, they were nice guys. They were never aggressive, but that was that stance I felt was so aggressive, you know. And um, I just felt that that was that weapon was trouble. Mm -hmm. You know, I just first of all, I felt it was way out of proportion for what was the rest of Costa Rica's experiencing, but that wasn't my, ever my decision. So that was the situation in my neighborhood. Um, where I was increasingly worried for my own children's safety outside of the neighborhood, and I was increasingly worried for my friends, the guards. And um, two years ago, I went to California to visit my sister, and uh, we were sitting in our TV room watching television when I got a call from my son. And that's very unusual just in itself. And I got this <laughs> call, and I said, he said, Mom, I have bad news. And uh, I don't know if you've ever had a call like that, but I just, mm -hmm. you know, I just went into this like hyper lift state. I just, I felt all my body sh shutting down, kind of, and I just felt my brain going, ch -ch -ch -ch. what was it? Was it this? Or what, what, what could it be? You know, what are all the possibilities? What could have gone wrong? You know? And so I said, Brian, what happened? He said, Mom, they shot Hidalgo. They shot him in the head and they killed him to take his gun. Mm -hmm. It's worth five hundred dollars on the on the black market. Mm -hmm. I mean, even now when I think about it, I mean, at that time when that happened, I just 
when I heard that, I just kind of collapsed in, into myself. And was, you know, I think about how to describe it. It was like being underwater and being turned around under a wave that's crashing onto me and just not knowing what's up and down and just like, a, you know, no color, just, just being completely un, un, unable to deal with what was going on. And, and then I came out of that and, well, of course, I, I started crying having lost a dear friend and crying because of this was going to devastate his family. Totally. How is his family going to survive now? And then I was also just horrified that, you know, one of my worst nightmares had come true is that somebody working for me had died in service to me, protecting me. Somebody who had hardly any resources, you know. So in that moment, I decided I just, uh, I wasn't going to live like that anymore. I wasn't going to stay there anymore. Four months later, I had packed up my bags, I had closed, I had stored most of my stuff, given away the rest, helped my son establish himself in an apartment, packed two suitcases, and moved to Florida. Now, now you know I have a very simple lifestyle, I love it. I have a one bedroom apartment, I don't have a car, I walk everywhere, I can walk north south, east, and west, mm -hmm. and there's no guy there standing with a rifle <laughs> protecting my safety, you know. And, and I'm also so, so glad that, that I have to say that living in the United States where security and safety is built into, your, into our culture, it's such a blessing because you're not making these delightful men who have very little options because of their little education to serve you by protecting you, you personally. You know, you don't have to have a person protecting you who doesn't have resources for a choice. So I'm very happy to be here. Mm -hmm.